Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Good to be back together again after being in Toronto last week. Today is the 27th day of the fifth month, which means we are 33 days away from the Feast of Trumpets. Summer has gone by fast. The Looking forward to the eclipse on Monday. I'm not sure if, who's going to get a chance. I don't even know if the weather's going to be good uh, in order to see it on Monday. But everyone is all up in arms and looking forward to that. I don't know if anyone heard about the vandalism that was... I know Olivia did because I saw it. Uh, that's where I, I had first seen it, actually. Uh, this past week on the Trinity Baptist Church in Burlington. Um... um it's on Appleby Line, just north of the 407 as you're headed out to Milton. I believe there was fire involved. Uh, Olivia, am I right on that? Was there, there was some fire involved and there was some spray painting. ISIS will remain. Uh, so all that, uh, it's coming closer. We don't want to admit it, but it is coming closer and closer. It's now within our city limits, actually. Uh, a church in just North Burlington this week. So let's continue to keep each other informed of these events. It will be important as we go through the coming weeks and years. Last week, we attended the public evangelism seminar in in Toronto on the topic of why the rapture hasn't happened yet. Uh, If you haven't, if you weren't there and would like to see it, it is now posted on our website, both Pastor Adrian's and Pastor Watson's messages. And for those of you who were those of, not of us here, but those who came to this public event expecting a very generic message on the coming of Jesus were probably in for a bit of a surprise. What we heard put together in these two presentations was the bringing together of prophecy, the gospel message, and the writings of the apostles in a fashion that we may have become accustomed to here, but others have not. The first part, on specifically on the rapture, and has why the rapture hasn't happened yet, used a couple of key texts in Matthew 24 and 1 Thessalonians 5, or 1 Thessalonians 4. And we were taken through in context, not just the pulled out, the isolated scriptures, but viewing them in context, we saw that not only does scripture not support the rapture theory, but in fact, Christ's expectations of his people before his return necessitate are being right in the middle of it all, and that the rapture completely goes against what Christ expects of us in the time leading up to his return. And that a rapture would go against all that we must endure and would prevent us from speaking out and preaching the truth during the coming events. And again, if you didn't get a chance to see either one, both videos are posted on our website. After lunch, Pastor Watson took us through the the connected concept of a place of safety, which is generally taught in in one form or another in many of the Church of God circles, where, as it is taught, we will be whisked away, not to heaven, as in the rapture, but to some secret place here on earth, some say Petra, some say other protected areas, in the lead up to Christ's return. And what we heard there was that God can choose to protect us in a variety of ways. 
but he also could choose to protect us in the grave. And that additionally and importantly, if God does choose to protect us in this life, and he can protect us right where we are um, so that we, following through on what we heard in the, the morning half, we are not whisked away, whether it be to a place of safety or to, or to a rapture, but we are right in the middle where we can endure. But if he does choose to protect us in this life, it comes with expectation to advance his cause, not simply to protect this life, sit back and be idle and hide. So overall, the message was clear and showed this theme that we've studied over the last number of years, runs right through the Bible, from prophecy into the Gospels and the Epistles, that ultimately, and this is how the presentations were ended, we must get right with God. Those, of, those who have, have heard the message need to get right with God. But what about those of us here who have gotten right with God? What about us? We don't believe in a rapture. We accept that God can protect us wherever he chooses to protect us. And that while we still have breath in our lungs, we will work hard to advance God's cause, to get that message out to and continue to prepare ourselves, the bride, for the return of Christ. We've committed to him in the waters of baptism. How does this message apply to us? And what we did see, Pastor Adrian briefly referred to it at the end of his message, was the conclusion to the first letter to the Thessalonians that Rosina read in the scripture reading. Let's go back there and have a look at it. Again, we heard it read today. We, it was touched on last week at the end of the first message. Verse 12, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Paul here concludes this very prophetic portion of Scripture, chapter 4, chapter 5, with instructions to us, to the brethren. And there's quite a lot here. Quite often, and we'll see this a little bit later, the apostles conclude their letters with tangible instructions to the brethren. If we were to create checklists, it could seem overwhelming. You go through Romans, there's a bit of a checklist. There's, a, there's specific instructions to the brethren. You go through both letters to Corinth, same thing. And actually, we're going to, at the conclusion, I'm going to show you what I mean there. But I like Dylan's approach. You remember back when he talked to us in his family fellowship about the two great commandments. He told us that seeing the commandments simplified and organized in this way helped him better understand things. So today what I'd like to do, in light of 
what we heard last week, is go to the conclusion of Paul's letter here, where he admonishes us, the brethren, those who are committed, those who have committed to this way of life. What is expected of us? We're going to specifically look here at the portion of Scripture that we touched on last week in First Thessalonians and view his instructions in light of the messages we heard last week on the rapture in the place of safety. Paul here uses the word exhort and urge, and then specifically says, you brethren. So this is emphatic and personal. So we can take this very personally, both individually and as a collective group here. But like Dylan showed us in his presentation, Paul simplifies his instructions here into three main areas. And that's what we're going to look at, look at today. So let's begin in verses 12 and 13 of 1 Thessalonians. We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now it may seem a little self-serving to talk to brethren about the treatment of leadership in the church. As I begin, it seems a little self-serving, but Paul does. Paul starts off here by talking to brethren about this very subject. So we will too. But what I would like to do is make it a little more relevant for us today. Let's make it a little more relevant today and what we're seeing around us. On our government's website, this is how the role of the opposition in government is is described on the, the, the Canadian government's website. Opposition parties lead in focus on the representative and watchdog functions performed by members of parliament. They work to ensure that legislation is carefully considered and that differing views on important initiatives are publicly expressed and defended. The role of the opposition in our parliamentary system reflects the premise that a delicate balance must be maintained between permitting elected governments to govern and legislate effectively and ensuring that power is exercised with care and with respect. I bring that up today because today governments govern without care and respect for the people they govern. Additionally, opposition parties, and we can see this weekly, almost daily now, we go back to the previous government that ran Canada and how the opposition party treated that. We look at today's government and how the opposition treats that. We look at south of the border and the previous administration and the administration before that and the administration before that. Opposition parties now oppose to oppose without reason or cause. Our job is just, if you say it, if I'm going to come out and say, we're going to dictate that the sky is blue, it, it can't be. It's not blue. A, a budget would come out. Everything's wrong about the budget. Everything is wrong about a budget. Anything a government now puts out is opposed to oppose. This is what is happening in our society. I don't want to really get into what happened last week in Charlottesville. This is not my intent. But what I did hear the president say was, look at what happened before. There are issues on both sides. That's just a fact. I'm not, I'm not taking any sides here. We are, now, we are now to the point as a society, and we see this where... We just oppose to oppose. Society is just upset about absolutely everything, and we oppose to oppose. 
a longtime parliamentary reporter retired a few years ago, who retired a few years ago was asked, it was a CTV reporter, I don't remember his name, but I saw an interview with him as he was retiring. And he was asked what he has seen change on the Hill over his years. And his response was respect. So they asked him what he meant by that. He said that in earlier days, Parliament would sit once a week in the evening sessions. So once a week, Q&A or question and the question period, as I believe they call it, once a week they would sit in the evenings. On those evenings, they would all eat together in the parliamentary dining hall, just intermingled as friends because they were friends and they knew each other. Here, members from both sides would sit together as friends and colleagues and eat, and then they would go off into their session, their question and answer period. He said when they stopped having these evening sessions, they stopped eating together, and then they stopped respecting one another. And then we see what we see. If you watch, if you have any patience to sit and watch a Q&A session of Parliament or in the Senate or the House of Representatives, someone will stand up and then someone will oppose for no, no reason. There's, there's no reason sometimes for the opposition. No, sometimes there is, but often there isn't. We can't let the degradation of society infiltrate the church. And what we see here in context we see here Paul talking about the relationship between the brethren and leaders in light of all that's going to happen before Christ comes back and all the, the hardship that we're going to go through and all that, that um, we read about in chapter 5 about just before the day of the Lord and all that's going to happen that we've, we've read and talked about here. And it sometimes rears its head in the church, and I've heard that it does, rears its head in the church when people hear things that are hard to digest. And we'll see it, especially in the concept of our openness, not, I'm not talking specifically here, where people will just, I don't like what I heard, I'm going to oppose that. And I'm going to argue with, I'm going to argue publicly. We can't let that happen. And Paul here is simply reminding us, first and foremost, in light of all that we read about here in chapter 4 and chapter 5, about the day of the Lord and these tough events that are going to come, let's maintain unity here between the brethren, in reference to leadership. And what I'd like to do is break this down here so that this is not, so this, that we understand where exactly where I'm going here. We urge you, therefore, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. Leaders, true leadership, proper godly leadership, labors among. It doesn't say labor over. It says labors among. That means we're all working. We all need to work together, which means we all need to be working. Not brethren working to serve idle leaders, and, no, and nor leaders working while brethren sit by idly. It says here, we are to who labor among you. But there is authority given for leaders to admonish. And admonish, as we know, we've talked about this before in some of our other messages, to warn, to exhort. It means to care, comfort, and plead also from the scriptures, from the scriptures. What about false teaching? Because there's, it's coming upon leadership to protect from false, from false teaching. Well, let's jump ahead a little bit here in verse 14 and see what, see what we see here. Warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, 
uphold the weak, and be patient with all. Be patient with all. And then dropping down to verse 21, test all things, hold fast what is good. There is a right way to handle what we may disagree with. We can't be unruly. And we must test all things from scriptures. Sometimes I've been witness to people who just disagree because it goes against what they think they, they, they believe. And they'll stand up right up in the middle of, of a session. And they'll be, I've witnessed it a couple of times. We can't be unruly. And we, can't, but, and we must always come from the point of view of testing the scriptures. And again, all of this here that Paul talks about is in light of this concept and the, the context here that we see in chapter 4 and chapter 5. We can't become like the world today and oppose in an unruly fashion just because it's something we don't agree with. Even if it may be wrong. Even if it may be wrong. We must always act in a controlled fashion and use the scriptures to test what we hear. Let's go to Ephesians 4 and sort of talk a little bit more about really what I'm talking about here. And this is stuff we've covered here for years. We've been nearly five years here. But it is important that we review and talk about it again. Ephesians 4, verse 11. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And as we know, and we've discussed, these are gifts of teaching, of ministry, of pastoring. These are gifts that are to be used to feed the flock and prepare the body for the return of Christ. Again, when we compare what we read here over to what we read in First Thessalonians, we see that it is a loving relationship that God expects. Now, let's be honest. Let's go to Third John. There are examples of poor leadership. We can't, there's, there's no denying that there are examples of poor leadership. We see an example here in 3 John, the third epistle that John wrote in verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Let's compare what we read here to what we read in Ephesians 4, where we just were. So we see here Diotrephes prevents picks and chooses who he, who he allows into the congregation, treats people with malicious words, puts them out of the church for lack of cause, versus leading from the point of view of being edifying, teaching, using, your, using gifts to serve the brethren. 
and then what we read in First Thessalonians 5, just for me to refer back to. where we see leadership laboring amongst the brethren, working with the brethren for, the, for God's cause. So it becomes clear, and if these are rare circumstances, where we have bad leaders. On the flip side, let's go to Numbers 12. Numbers 12. And see an example of opposition. Without cause. Numbers 12, verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. And then we won't take time here, but we've read this story before where God takes Miriam and Aaron to task for opposing Moses without cause. We must be careful. And this is all in light of, as I remind you, what we're talking about here is the public presentations from last week and all that we know is going to precede Christ's return and the, the changing society, the changing political systems, the, the how Christians will be and are being treated. We must be careful how we see Everybody in an opposition mindset. You turn on the news and everybody's mad about everything. And you see uh, clashes just to have clashes. We must be careful not to let changing society change us. Society is going to change. Society is going to, we go through some of the scriptures we read last week in Matthew 24. We are going to see society continually descend into rudeness, into into poor behavior, as we continue to build the flock and as we continue to together prepare for the return of Christ, we should never find ourselves in a mindset of opposing without cause. We must always, if we find something we disagree with, we, mu- we must remain in a controlled fashion, never be unruly, and treat it from, this progr- from the perspective of referring to scripture, doctrine, and as we saw with the atrophies, how we treat others. But this becomes significant when we read Paul's instructions here to the brethren about leadership in light of the events that will precede Christ's return. As society becomes more and more ungodly, we must, not, we must always be in control and always value the relationship and the gifts of leadership that God places in his church. Because they are there to benefit us, the flock. They are there to help prepare us for the return of Christ. Let's go to the next couple of verses, chapter four, or verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, 
Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak and be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Let's break this down a little bit and, and see here. So we've, Paul has talked about the relationship between the brethren and leadership. Now he's moving over to the relationship between we the brethren. Notice how the brethren are to take unruly brethren to task. When someone becomes unruly, it, is, it falls under the jurisdiction of the brethren to take them to task. We don't all need to run to the ministry to take brethren to task who are behaving in an unruly manner. The ministry, as we've studied and see, protects the church from false doctrine. But as we see here, Paul, and we're bringing all of these concepts together in verses 12 to 21, the love of both the body and the leadership that should, that should be within the, within the body of Christ compels all brethren to deal with unruly behavior directly. Because we are the church. We are the body of Christ. We must help protect the body. And as we, again, keep in mind, we're not necessarily, we're not talking about right now amongst our brethren here. We are not an unruly lot. We are, are respectful of all. We are a loving, a loving group. We're looking at this as society dwindles and we get closer and closer and closer to the return of Christ. And one of the beautiful things about prophecy is that God gives us a heads up as to what to expect. And we are watching a world, and you just, as I said, time and again here, we just have to turn on our news and see chaos that is, and we are seeing civil unrest in our own societies. We, we, we cannot allow that when times get tough to come in, into the, the body of Christ. We see here first and foremost to the brethren, Warn those who are unruly. Warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak and be patient with all. Let's hold, our, hold your place there. Let's go to Ephesians 4. Back where we were. We stopped at verse... 13, a very familiar passage. Let's drop down to verse 16 for context here. From whom, Ephesians 4, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So we return to 1 Thessalonians and we see Paul talking about warning unruly brethren comforting the faint-hearted, upholding the weak, and do this all from the perspective of being patient with all. Even dealing with the unruly or helping those who are struggling, upholding the weak, those who may be faint of heart. It is all done from the, the godly love perspective of patience. Not rendering, as we see here later on, evil for evil. We don't control unruly behavior with unruly behavior, but we do deal with it if, it if it comes amongst the body. If we see the unruliness that we see in society enter the, the body, 
we must we must protect the body and we must we we must be comfortable with doing that. We must love each other enough to protect the body from unruliness. This is how we get the civil unrest that happens almost daily now in our society. We just let it happen in the name of freedom, in the name of of enlightenment. We allow society has allowed itself to become unruly. We can't do that. We must, as Paul says here, pay special attention to those who are weaker in faith in a patient and loving way. Because we all, at points in time, find ourselves where we're just off the mark a little bit, where we need someone to lean on, where we need someone to help pick us up. We must watch and love the body enough, especially as we approach the return of Christ, to pay attention to those who are weak, who need a hand up, who need someone to lean on in a patient and loving way. And what we see here, but always pursue what is good for both yourselves and for all. The good of the body is what is primarily most important as long as it meets with the righteousness of God. That should be our primary focus. And that's what Paul is covering here in this section here. Protect the body. Help those who need help. Make sure we, we stay together as a group, that we pursue righteousness, and that we, and this word warn is, is to, to just watch out for. If, if, if it came a time where the unruliness came into our group, we must let them know that that's not how the body of Christ behaves because we love each other, because we love the body. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. We've covered this time and again. But this is why the Passover, as we have continued to grow in our understanding of it, is such a meaningful observance and why it is a community observance. Because Christ died for his whole body, not just for me. He didn't just die for me. He died for us. Let's jump in here. Verse 29, we've covered this several times. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. And we've done deeper dives into this this topic about what it means to discern the body. But here, by not discerning the body, what we read here, what hap- what will naturally happen in an environment where the body doesn't love itself, the body's not discerning of one another, watching out for unruliness, watching out for the weak, watching out for the faint of heart. What we see here is that concern for self rather than the body allows the weak to remain weak. It allows the sick to stay sick, and it allows the sleeping to continue to sleep. That's an example here where Paul is writing to Corinth that needed some help in how to treat the body, how to discern the Lord's body. What we read back in 1 Thessalonians was an admonition of how strong bodies operate, that they look after each other, they look out for the faint of heart, they look out for the weak. Go back and take some time to review messages that we've heard here on discerning the Lord's body on the need for hospitality, on 
a gap in your agape. The studies we did on the one another verses. All of these messages are part of the entire menu that we have here of the spiritual food that God provides here in our body. These aren't one-off messages. We hear them, we post them, and then we forget about them. It's important that we circle back on some of these things because as we're going to see, and we're going to cover this in the conclusion, the writers of the epistles do the same thing. They go back and talk about these things over and over and over again because there's going to come a time when the events of 1 Thessalonians 5 will take place. And if we are protected in the way here that God protects our physical life so that we may endure these things, we must be able to endure these, th- these things together and not allow society to change us. And it is in these times of peace that we must continue to go back and strengthen our resolve and strengthen our understanding of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. These aren't one-off messages. This is why we place a one another verse in the weekly bulletin, and we do it every week. And there's 59 of them, and we'll go back and start the process again. Not to be repetitive, not to be not creative, but we need to continue to remember what it means to be part of the body. Matthew chapter 10. Again, nothing new today. Nothing new today. But in light of what we heard last week, Matthew chapter 10. Verse 21. Again, if you read this in context, let's, we'll go back to verse 16. Behold, I send you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, Do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and to father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. I can't fathom what it is going to be like when this becomes a possibility. But prophetically here, Christ warns us, this is going to happen. There will come a time when you may be betrayed by a brother. It is at this time that we focus on these passages like 1 Thessalonians 5, where Paul again admonishes us what it means to be part of the body, what it means to treat each other with the love of God. So that when this happens, that never becomes an option for us. We never betray a brother or a sister. Luke chapter 22, considering the possibility of being betrayed. I would hate to be, have myself put in a position where in a moment of weakness, I've taken the easy way out and I betray you. I can't fathom that. I can't fathom that I, I would be put, that I would have that moment of weakness. But it is with that resolve now that we must continue to appreciate and understand what it means to be part of the body. And we see here 
after Peter denied Christ a third time, the Lord turned, verse 61, and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Christ has warned us in his gospel message that brother will betray brother. Never find yourself in the position where Christ can say, or you can remember, oh, Christ did tell me that. I was warned I might betray the, I might betray the brethren. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. So as we consider the events of the day of the Lord, the events that precede Christ's return, some of the passages that we read in Matthew 24 about the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah. Paul concludes here with specific things we can do and keep our minds on. The third portion here, after care for leadership and care for the brethren is our care and commitment to the Father and to our Savior. And we see this beginning here in verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. And abstain from every form of evil. Again, a lot there, but all about our relationship with God. Rejoice always, keeping in mind the context here is the times of trouble that precede precede the return of Christ. And again, let's stuff we have read countless times, but we'll continue to read. James chapter one. James chapter one. Verse 2, again, remembering when James wrote, and that he wrote to the diaspora, the brethren who were scattered because of persecution. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The same theme running through all of the writers of the, the, the epistles. Recalling your, 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 no need to turn back there at this point, First Thessalonians 5. Recalling what we, we talked about here, strengthen each, strengthening each other in the weak times. That takes, that, that has part and parcel about having joy in trials. Pray without ceasing, Paul continues. And in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That we are thankful to be together, that we are thankful that God has warned us what those times will be like. He tells us not to quench the spirit and don't despise prophecy. Go back and review some of what we've been taught on Isaiah, on Daniel, on Revelation. We've had several studies and sermons from many of us on these topics. And as we've seen this Bible, and we've come to understand the Bible is a book with this running narrative from beginning to end on how God was, through his son, going to redeem man from Adam's rejection in Genesis 3, something we've recently covered as well. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. 
and talk about despising prophecy. As things continue to evolve and develop and we're seeing it before our very eyes. It can be easy to stick our head in the sand like an ostrich and not, not want to pay attention. We can't do that. We can't despise the great word of God that he gives to us to warn us about what is coming. First Corinthians four fourteen verse 3. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Think of what we've read in 1 Thessalonians, what we've read in James 1, what we've read back in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, what we've read in Ephesians 4. All of these same concepts, exhorting, comforting, edifying. This is the, the, the relationship of God with the church, the brethren with the brethren, leadership and, and brethren. This is all part and parcel of, of a healthy body, exhorting one another, comforting one another, and edifying one another so that we all reach the fullness of the stature of Christ. Here, what enables that? Prophecy. Prophecy. Because prophecy, as we see verse 5 will continue, I wish you all spoke with tongues. But even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless he, indeed he, interprets that the church may receive edification. Prophecy to God's true followers and taught properly, not to to grandiose oneself or edify oneself. That here is this foolishness of speaking in a tongue, the way the world perceives that. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Because proper use of prophecy edifies, exhorts, and comforts the body. And that's going to become increasingly important as events unfold. Let's go back to Acts 17. Acts 17. Continuing to look at our commitment to God and Jesus Christ. In the passage that we're studying today in First Thessalonians, part of what we read was to test all things and to cling to what is good. How do we do that? How do we test all things? Do we, when we get aggravated or hear something we don't like, just haphazardly debate and yell? Or do we do what the Bereans did? Verse 11 of chapter 17. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. Interesting reference. In that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. They received the word with all readiness. They were not coming to hear a message on pins and needles, figuring out where I'm going to poke holes in this. They were there to receive the word. 
And by extension, once I receive the word, I'm going to compare it against Scripture. Then we follow, if we happen to hear something that happens not to follow Scripture, then we have the, the expected mindset that God expects from us to do so in not in an unruly fashion and to follow the example of the Bereans who received it with all readiness of mind, not to oppose, but they came to be fed. They, when they gathered with the body, they wanted to be fed. They came to hear Paul and Silas here in this case feed them. And they came with loving expectation that I'm going to be fed. Because, why? And again, we're, going to, we're connecting all these things that Paul talked about because of the value they placed on the efforts of Paul and Silas. They esteemed them highly in, their, in love for the work's sake, as Paul tells us back where we were reading in First Thessalonians. Then once they heard this in an eager anticipation, where they couldn't wait to be taught again. They couldn't wait to come to the, the temple here or to gather, to, to gather with Paul and Silas and be fed. Then, in a controlled fashion, they got together and they compared what they heard to what they found in the scriptures. And the, res- the results, many believed. Many believed. So it is good to test all things and to cling to what is good. But we do it in such a way that it adheres to what the scriptures tell us. We're told in the same passage to abstain from every form of evil. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Again, nothing that's new. But in light of what is coming, we must always be alert to evil. We must always be alert to succumbing to evil. And our study on Genesis 3 was, it was a, a good reference point for that. Verse 15 of 1 John 2, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And we know that, of the, the, that Satan is the god of this world. So we've got here listed for us, again, in nice, simple, orderly fashion, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Again, me-focused. When we focus on ourselves, when we're worried about ourselves, worried about satisfying our desires, satisfying our pride, that is when we are getting involved in forms of evil. And Paul tells us in that passage to abstain from every form of evil. And we see those forms listed for us here. Back to First Thessalonians 5 for a minute. So again, this is nothing new. We walk through the, these letters of the epistles. First Thessalonians becomes an important part here as we get ready for the Feast of Trumpets in 33 days. And we see the return of Christ described for us. And not only that, we are blessed and comforted by the prophecies here that tell us it's not going to be easy. This isn't going to be an easy time. And as we heard last week, we may be protected in the grave. God may choose of his own accord to protect us. 
But if he does protect us, there's an obligation and expectations that we must fulfill. But this is not going to be easy. And it's nothing new. Nothing we read here from verses 12 to 21 isn't something we've talked about here for the last four and a half years. Prior to that, how many ever years you were in the church or you've been in the faith. And we've studied these time and again. But guess what? We need to keep reviewing these things. This isn't something that's going to go away or should go away. Because the apostles, they repeated and rehashed and said the same things time and again in different ways. Because the time is coming when we're going to need to draw on this. And this is going to need to be part of our character. And we'll continue to look at these things from different, different angles and different, different viewpoints. And this is something that the apostles actually concluded all of their epistles, their general epistles, the ones that weren't to specific people like Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. They concluded all of their epistles with final exhortations worded to brethren, worded to the beloved, worded to little children. We've got a few minutes here. The message has been a, a shorter than normal. Let me just, let's just walk through really quickly so you can see this for yourself. Let's go to Romans 16. Romans 16. When we study these epistles, they're there to, to address specific doctrinal issues, specific issues like in first, uh, the first letter to Corinth that talked about the, the behavior in the church, so whether it be doctrinal or behavior-related, but all the epistles end, all of the apostles and the, the writers of these epistles end with urging to the brethren and give, giving the brethren something to cling to, something to work on. And we see it, let's, we're going to go through this here. So Romans 16, verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren. We're not going to take time to read this. The checklist would get too long. But take time to, in your own studies, have a look at this. Now I urge you, brethren. And then he continues for four verses to talk about things that were on his mind then. 1 Corinthians 16. We're just going to walk through quickly here. 1 Corinthians 16. Verse 13. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave and be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren. And then he continues with how he's going to conclude. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. That's how he begins that conclusion. We're not going to read, read these all, but you, you get the, the, the point. Galatians 6 does the same thing. Ephesians 6 ends with the armor of God and telling us to put on the armor of God. Philippians 4. Philippians 4 tells us, beginning in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, and then he proceeds to give it to whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, of good report. If there's any virtue, meditate on these things. So again, basic instructions after, after getting these epistles for us to focus on. 
Colossians does the same. Colossians 4, beginning in verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer and be vigilant with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. Walk in wisdom. Let your speech be with grace and seasoned with salt. Second Thessalonians. We've been in First Thessalonians. Let's go to Second Thessalonians. I will go to Second Thessalonians. You can follow up on these as you have study time. Verse six. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this case, that you withdraw from brothers who walk disorderly. And then he continues to to follow through on some other instruction. Even Hebrews. Paul's epistle to the Hebrews that we've studied in great detail. Chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who rule over you. Considering the outcome of their conduct. Obey those, verse 17, obey those who have ruled over you. Be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. Pray for us. Back in chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And he continues to list some basic instructions. James does the same. Both, both uh, letters by Peter do the same. Second John, First John, and Jude. Let's go to Jude. We'll, we won't go through all of these, but take time to go through all the epistles. And they all have similar instructions that are given to us as they conclude their letters. Verse 20 of Jude. But you, beloved. So he refers to us, they they refer to us as brethren, they refer to us as little children, as John does. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fire, with fear pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So let's close back in 1 Thessalonians 5 where we were. As we continue to see the, the narrative of Scripture from front to back, and we pull together the gospel message, and we see the growth of the church through Acts and how the epistles are written into that, And we have the effect of prophecy and how both in the Old and the New Testament, God uses prophecy to to encourage us, to exhort us, to help bring us back and keep us us focused on, on the family, on God, and on this way of life. Society will continue to crumble around us. We it is it scripture tells us it is not going to get better. And as that happens, these words of exhortation that we read at the conclusion of all of these epistles become more meaningful and more impactful. When we see the exhortation on the relationship between leadership and the brethren, when we see the exhortation 
on how what it means to look after one another as brethren, how to protect ourselves from unruliness, how to strengthen each other in times of weakness, and how individually and collectively we need to maintain our relationship with God through prayer, through thanksgiving, through praise, through learning and the teaching of prophecy. To, to hold fast to what is good. As we read these, sometimes they just become words on a page. But as society continues to become completely unglued, and as this continues to become closer and closer and closer, it is no longer, it is now in Burlington. It is now in Burlington. And if it's in Burlington, it's going to be in your community. We must Read these with a new light, with a new understanding, with a deeper, not new, but a deeper understanding in light of the context that we see here about the return of Christ and all the events that will proceed. As the time comes, as we've studied, again, we, had a, we studied the abomination of desolation last year, where the Bible will come time where the Bible is going to be banned. It is already considered hate speech and hate literature. We must continue to read and study and make these exhortations and urgings a part of us. And we can never tire of the words of God through his servants that we read here. The messages of the epistles, as they wrote to the church, and as they wrote to the church, as the events of the acts of the Holy Spirit unfolded and played out, they provide us with deep teaching. But we cannot overlook their concluding admonitions as they urge and exhort us. Onto the kingdom. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.